0: You're listening to Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. If you've finished 11 years of training or more, you may think of yourself as prominent in your community, but are you as a physician really the leader that you could be? Welcome to the Clinicians Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. James Reinardson. Dr. Reinertson heads the Reinardson Group, a healthcare consulting firm based in Wyoming. Prior to that, he was CEO at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, where he was known for his unwavering focus on safety and quality. He is also a senior faculty member at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, where he teaches leadership skills and promotes the engagement of hospital boards in patient safety efforts. Today, we're discussing the role of the physician as a leader in the medical community at large, and we're privileged to have you here with us today, Jim. Thank you for being here.
1: Uh, thank you very much, Shira.
0: So to begin, tell us a little bit about IHI, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. What is it, and why is there such a need for this organization?
1: Uh, IHI is a, uh, a relatively small institution, only about 85 or 90 employees, and a faculty of about four or 500, uh, that uh, includes me, that really works worldwide to improve quality and safety of healthcare. They do that by uh, bringing together two forms of science, the science of evidence-based medicine practice and the science of improvement, what we know about improving systems and processes of work to make things more reliable, make it less likely that we'll make a mistake, that we'll uh, uh, have to redo an effort that we've already done because it just didn't turn out right, the kinds of things that Well, quite frankly, drive doctors crazy in their practices when things go wrong and they have to kind of do a bunch of rework or otherwise get frustrated with the the things that just uh, get messed up in their daily work.
0: Are doctors good leaders or do they just think they are? How do they interact in, in a hospital setting or with the administration of a hospital? Are they their own little world or do they reach out and try to change things?
1: Well, doctors are the natural professional leader because of the sort of the professional hierarchies that have been established historically, and virtually everything that happens in a hospital is derivative of a doctor's order, isn't it? Patients don't get care of a certain kind or the policies of the hospital with respect to medical pra- health care practices are, are all basically either approved individually by doctors when they write their orders or by you know, the medical staff in its sort of more formal sense. So doctors do have a leadership role in the hospital. That doesn't mean each individual doctor is a good leader, let's say, of a team or um, of, a, uh, of an improvement project or something like that. That's not necessarily something that we were trained to do in school. In fact, to a certain extent, the privilege we've had of being able to sort of give our instructions to others, you know, termed as orders, tends to make us uh, more sort of the captain of the ship sort of leaders rather than what I'd call the captain of the team sort of leaders.
0: Is it different with community hospitals and academic settings?
1: Well, yes and no. In academic settings, the physicians who are in the role of department chairs tend to have a bit more power uh, and authority and formal responsibility. Uh, Whereas in a community hospital, the chair of the Department of Medicine, let's say, might be just the guy who happened to miss the meeting, you know. (laughs) His (laughs) his friend said, it's your turn in the barrel. (laughs) But it's a less formal kind of responsibility in many respects. But the leadership challenges are very similar in both settings.
0: What should the role be between the board of directors at an institution and the physicians who work there? Is there good communication and respect, or is there any communication?
1: Well, in most hospitals, there's sort of a triangle, if you will, the three parts of this very complex organization called the typical American hospital. The board, the highest governance authority, is at one end of the triangle. The administration is at another corner of the triangle. And the organized medical staff is at the third corner. Some people say the organized medical staff, that term is the biggest oxymoron in American medical terminology. And we, have, and we as doctors you know, get some grief because we, we tend to uh, not uh, use our role in, in many people's view as well as we might. And it's a very powerful role if you we were to think about it. The board, which is responsible ultimately for everything, has delegated responsibility for clinical quality and safety of care in the hospital to the medical staff. It says that in virtually every set of bylaws of the hospital I've ever read. And so the board, by delegating that, says, doctors, please take care of this. So the board has an opportunity and I think an obligation to ask the medical staff leaders from time to time Tell us, uh, what is your plan? What, what are you doing to make quality and safety happen here in the hospital? That's uh, something that uh, many uh, medical staffs do an extremely good job of, and many others are, I think, struggling to do because they spend so much of their time on the medical staff kind of squabbling about other issues, uh, getting paid for covering the emergency room, uh, refereeing the sort of the food fights between one specialty and another about who gets to do endovascular surgery and so forth. Those activities take up so much time of the organized medical staff these days that very often they don't spend as much time on clinical quality and safety as they could.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 157, the Channel 4 Medical Professionals. And I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. I'm speaking today with Dr. James Reinertsen, and we're discussing the physician as a leader, making a difference in your hospital and your community. How do physicians typically react when they want change in their institution?
1: You know, it's sort of an interesting problem because if you're talking about the hospital, which is the institution most physicians belong to, right? only 20% or so of the typical hospital's medical staff today ever comes into the hospital to see a patient or do anything else. Eighty percent of them are on the staff but do virtually all of their work in the outpatient setting. And so the 20 percent who are in the minority but really do most of their work in the hospital increasingly you know, have the opportunity to work inside the structures of the hospital other than the organized medical staff, go to the hospital CEO or go to the manager of a department they work in the most and say, here are some issues, we have some problems, we need to make some changes. In many circumstances, this works really well. The physicians advocate seriously and they advocate well for needed change and improvements in the hospital. Sometimes the advocacy the doctors bring about gets kind of dysfunctional, and we hear a lot about that, especially when they sort of are focused as the medical staff organization on the autonomy of the medical staff, that's a particular difficult issue for doctors. They want to maintain their own self-regulatory authority, and that autonomy has sort of gotten them backed into a corner in many, many respects. A friend of mine says that we have autonomized ourselves into a diverticulum of irrelevance. Uh, <laughs> Is because,
0: he in GI, or he just well, said that? Well,
1: we tend to basically. Uh, focus on this so much that we lose sight of the bigger issues inside the hospital.
0: So physicians typically then, you think they complain too much? They don't take ownership of the problems and step up and do something about it? I think a lot of us complain.
1: Well, you know, I I think if you were to walk through a typical doctor's lounge where there aren't that many doctors anymore in the hospital because, as I said, 80% of the members of the staff are really out there in the community all the time. And the advent
0: of hospitalists to do the in-house work.
1: right. Doctors do have a reputation for doing a lot of complaining, a lot of whining. And, um, you know, life didn't turn out the way many of them thought it was going to. There's good surveys have, have shown that many physicians are disappointed with the way life turned out in their practices. I think uh, we should maybe pause for a moment to take the advice that Atul Gawande has at the very end of his wonderful recent book, Better. Uh, Atul is a surgeon at the Peter Brent Brigham in Boston. And a wonderful writer, and he basically has five things that he suggests we do if we want to remain fresh and not get discouraged. The second on his list of five things, interestingly enough, is don't complain. Think about it. If you've been in a gripe session with your fellow doctors, has it made anything better? Does it make you feel better? Does it make you want to go and do, you know, something uplifting or, or interesting or? Did, it, did you learn anything when you were sitting in the complaining session?
0: No, usually I left feeling worse.
1: You just wind up feeling worse. He said, "When you hear people complaining, why don't you just change the subject? Talk about something you learned in your last bit of reading. Talk about an interesting patient you just saw. Do something, but see if you can't change the conversation." A really good physician leader, in my view, right now, would help to lift up the spirits of all of the the colleagues that he or she comes in touch with, in contact with by sort of stopping the complaining cycle and starting a a, a more uplifting kind of a conversation amongst ourselves.
0: Do physicians, if they don't demonstrate leadership skills, do you think it contributes significantly to their burnout for reasons like you've already described and he's described in his book? If you don't take charge and do something about a problem, things kind of seem hopeless, correct?
1: I think that's right. There are two parts to it. We shouldn't be uh, completely... uh, uh, I shouldn't beat up on ourselves too hard here. I mean, but it, it, what I was really trying to say is that you can't lead others until you can lead yourself. As you hear people complaining, as you yourself fall into a trap of self-pity and, and sort of uh, victimhood, it's important for uh, we, we take ourselves out of that trap and say from time to time, all right, let's just move forward here and deal with the hand of cards we've been dealt and make a good hand out of it. You know, let's, let's do the best we can. I think that approach is very helpful for ourselves, and then it becomes helpful for our colleagues as well.
0: Can you assist doctors to implement change in their medical community and beyond?
1: Uh, Yes. I mean, one of the things that when, when doctors do lift their sights and say, let's make things better around here, what they really then need are skills, knowledge about how to make things better in a way that the improvements are really solid, that they stick that they last, and that they really make a difference. And that's really the toolkit that uh, the improvement science, reliability science, and so forth has given us. We've learned these, we, we can learn these skills. And so the, the first step is to lift your head up out of the sort of the, the ooze of, of, of complaining, if you will, and start seeing the opportunities to make things better. And the second is to learn how to do it. And there are lots of ways to learn it. One of the best places doctors can go to learn about how to improve clinical care is the program, for example, that uh, Brent James, Dr. Brent James, runs uh, in Salt Lake City at uh, Intermountain Healthcare. It's about a six-month program. You go for a week, a month, for six months. And if you come out the end of that program having participated fully, you will know skills that you can use for a lifetime to really improve things around you. Many hospitals, and I was sending their incoming um, department of surgery chairs, for example, and other people like that, sponsoring them, paying their way, and supporting their salaries or incomes to attend programs like that so that they can really learn the skills that they need to be effective physician leaders.
0: Dr. Reinertsen, you've been great. Thank you for being here.
1: Uh, My pleasure. Thank you, Cheryl.
0: We want to thank Dr. Reinertson today from IHI for being our guest, and we've been discussing doctors as leaders making a difference in the community where you live and you work. And I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this and any segment you hear, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you, as always, for listening.